You know, I've said many times from this pulpit that one of the most important principles that we use as we study the Bible is keeping every text in its proper context. Uh, The constant danger that we face as we study the scriptures is to kind of remove a text from the context in which we find it. And as we're studying a particular passage, fail to see how it's connected to the text that's written right before it. Even when you're preaching through uh, books of the Bible like I'm doing now and preaching expository sermons, it's easy to lose sight of the forest for the trees and fail to make a proper connection between one passage and the passage or the passages that have gone before it. The context of this passage goes all the way back to verse 1 of chapter 3. Where last week we saw that Paul talks about the last days. And where he said in verse 1, But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And so all of chapter 3, and even into chapter 4, must be seen in the light of the context of the last days in which we live. Last week we saw Paul give us uh, the character of the people who live in the last days. Those who, he said, love self and who love money and who love pleasure more than they love God. This morning continues talking about how believers are to live in the last days. The focus here, of course, is on Timothy. This is a personal letter. God's allowing us to read Timothy's mail, if you will. This is, this is a personal letter that the aging Apostle Paul wrote to this young pastor who was serving a difficult church in the city of Ephesus. But in this personal letter, we find all kinds of valuable information about how to live the Christian life, how to serve the Lord faithfully, how to conduct the affairs of the church, and how to deal with false teaching. It really is a rich insight into the heart of the Apostle Paul and the relationship he had with Timothy and the wise pastoral counsel that he gave to him. Well, here in our text this morning, uh, Paul contrasts, I think, how Timothy was to live in the last days with how those he described in the former passage lived in the last days. That is, those who loved self, who loved money, who loved pleasure more than they loved God. There's to be a difference, folks. Stephen was talking about it some this morning in Sunday school. There's to be a difference in how believers live. We, we claim the name of Christ. And there ought to be something distinctive about you and about me in the way that we think, in the way that we view the world, in the way that we apply the gospel, in the way that we make ethical and moral decisions. And so Paul is telling Timothy here, kind of in contrast to to the character of those who love self, money, and pleasure more than they love God. This is how a believer is to live in the last days. My outline this morning is very simple. But I think it's true to the text and helpful for us as we kind of come to grips with what Paul says here. First, Paul simply tells Timothy to reflect on the past. To reflect on the past. If... If we're going to live successfully in these last days, we must not forget the past. 
so easy for us to get off on the right foot spiritually and to making, be making good progress only at times to stall out or to get off track. And one of the reasons that happens is because we become too much people of the moment and we forget what God has done in the past. And not just in general what God has done in the past, but what God has done in our lives in the past. And that's what Paul is exhorting Timothy to remember here. It seems as though Timothy, as as godly as he was, as much as he was used by God, as close as he was to Paul, it really seems throughout these pastoral epistles, especially in 2 Timothy, that he was struggling. He was wavering some. And he was allowing all of this stuff, the false teaching, the ungodliness uh, that was pressing in on the church to get to him. And so Paul in these letters is encouraging him to stand fast, to hold firm, to keep on in the faith and to be faithful regardless what came his way. And here in verses 10 and 11 in particular, Paul tells Timothy to remember his personal past. Remember how he had been faithful in the past so he could continue to be faithful in the present. Now it really is quite amazing to see how Paul describes Timothy's spiritual life in the past. He basically said, you followed me. You followed me. Now you might wonder, why didn't Paul say, you followed Jesus? Well, in essence, that is what Paul is saying. Because you see, Timothy followed Paul as Paul followed Jesus. It's interesting that Paul was not above holding himself up as an example for others to follow. He often did that. He, but he always clarified it saying this, you follow me as I follow Christ. You know, he told uh, the Philippians, for example, follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow and following my, me as I follow. Follow me and follow my example. He said this to the Philippians. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. He told the Corinthians, therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. And then again he clarified it saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Then he told the Thessalonians, we gave a model for you to follow. That you might follow our example. I don't know about you, I'm hesitant. I'm hesitant to tell people, you follow me. You follow my example. My example is not too good. But the Apostle Paul was able to tell Timothy and other members of churches, you follow me because I'm going to do my best to follow Christ. If you follow me, you ought to find yourself at the feet of Jesus. That's a convicting thought to me as a pastor. To really ask myself, am I really leading my folks to Jesus? And if you followed me, and my example and my measure of faithfulness 
my commitment to the scriptures, my prayer life, my zeal for sharing the gospel with others, my commitment to obedience. If you followed my example, really followed me and my example, where would it lead you? That's helpful for us to ask as parents, I think. If my children really followed my example, where would it lead them? If my children really follow me, what are their values going to be? What are their priorities going to be? What's really going to be important to them if they follow my example? Paul wasn't above saying, follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. And all of us ought to be able to say something like that in the context in which we live. But anyway, Paul is reminding Timothy, you followed my example. Now that word follow in verse 10 is translated by some translations to know. It's, it's kind of an intimate knowledge. It's following someone closely. And Timothy had followed Paul that way. He had followed him. Followed his example. Seen him in many different circumstances and situations of life. And he tells Timothy to remember three specific areas. One is his ministerial duties, what he saw in those, his personal character, and also his suffering for the gospel. For example, he says in verse 10, you followed my teaching, my conduct, and my purpose. Those are the ministerial duties. You see, Timothy had heard what Paul had taught, and he had made it his goal in life, not just to embrace what he heard Paul teach, but to invest it in the lives of others. He saw Paul's conduct in the church and the way that Paul lived his life and the way he conducted his pastoral duties. And Timothy tried to emulate that example. Timothy had seen Paul live out his his purpose for the church or his vision for ministry. And, and, And Timothy tried to follow that example, tried to make that vision his vision as he ministered in the church. And then he goes on and say, you followed not only those three things, but you followed my faith, my patience, my love, and my perseverance. Those are the traits of personal character. And I'm sure they're just a sampling. The ones the Holy Spirit brought to Paul's mind as he wrote this letter. But he said, you followed my character. You followed what you saw in me as a reflection of the fruit of the Spirit. And it's also, you followed, verse 11, you followed my persecutions and sufferings. Timothy was with Paul in some of his times where he was really persecuted for the gospel and suffered for his faith. Timothy witnessed it firsthand. In particular, he was with him when he suffered in the three cities that Paul mentions here. Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And Timothy followed that example, being willing to suffer for the gospel as well. And so what Paul is telling Timothy here is this. 
as he was struggling some with his own commitment and his own faith, Paul's saying, look, you remember, you remember what you did in the past. You remember how you followed my example then. So it might be an encouragement to you to do that today. And some of you might might find yourself there this morning. You realize, you know, my, my, my zeal for God is not what it was six months ago, two years ago, ten years ago. My heart for God is not what it was then. My obedience is not what it was at one time. And I would exhort you the same way that Paul is exhorting Timothy. Look, remember those days. Don't forget the past. And use what you did in the past in a positive way to give you encouragement for the present. To renew and rekindle that zeal that you had in days gone by. So he tells Timothy to remember the past. And then secondly, he tells him to anticipate the future. Or more specifically, to be realistic about the future. And we have to keep in mind, again, what Paul said back in verse 1 of this chapter. But realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. We're in the last days. And in the last days, folks, we're going to face some hard times. Difficult times will come. That's what the Bible says. Satan will do everything in his power to stamp out the name of Christ. He will do everything he can to prevent the expansion of the kingdom of God. He will do everything he can to hinder the work of the church. And he will do all he can to stamp out your faith and your love and your zeal for Christ. He will make personal attacks on you to try to deter you from living for God as you desire to do. And so as believers, we need to anticipate that. We need to be realistic about it. We need to understand that the devil is a roaring lion prowling around seeking someone like you and me to devour. And that's the context of verse 12, the familiar words that many of us preachers refer to often, where Paul says this, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, just notice how certain Paul is of that. He begins the verse by saying, indeed, or in fact. And then he goes on to say, all he desired to live in God, godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is not a maybe. It's not a possibility. But if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to face some opposition. And you'll suffer some because of it. Now, it doesn't mean that every believer, even those who are the most earnest in seeking godliness, will experience constant and unrelenting persecution. It doesn't mean that necessarily you'll be thrown into prison for your faith or tortured or become a martyr. Nor does it mean that you ought to go out looking for opportunities to be persecuted for your faith. But what it does mean is that you ought to expect, as you live godly in this world, you ought to expect some resistance. Some of you have experienced that from your families. Some of you come from families where 
your parents or your siblings are unconverted and they don't understand you don't understand your faith don't understand your commitment to Christ and sometimes they question your direction they question your goals they question your commitment you've been ostracized by friends because of your faith and the more you seek to live godly in Christ Jesus the more you will experience that from the world from unbelievers and we ought to expect that part of living in the last days is this expectation of suffering for Jesus but also he goes on to say in uh, in the text in verse 13 and 14 he says but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived one of the characters of the last days is its proliferation of false teaching of people who rise up and proclaim things different from we find in, in the word of God Paul calls those men here evil men and imposters you know the Bible says that in the last days false Christ will arise people who claim to be followers of Christ but who lead people not to Jesus but away from him one of the ways that you can tell an imposter is who does he have you follow? Does he try to get followers for himself? Or does he try to get followers for Jesus? And in this day where we know that the imposters will arise and lead God's people astray, it's all the more imperative for us to stand upon the truth of God's word and to proclaim it faithfully and to trust it with all that we have. That leads me to my third point, which is where Paul tells Timothy to focus on the present. He said, remember the past. Anticipate realistically the future. But focus on the present. There's one word of instruction in this whole passage, and we find it in verse 14, where Paul says this, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. That's Paul's exhortation. Continue in the things that you have learned. Today we would say in our language, keep on keeping on. Paul is telling Timothy to continue in the things that he has learned. And you see, that's one of the advantages of of reflecting on the past and anticipating the future. It gives us a balance from which we can press on and continue to follow Christ in the present. You see, we don't divorce ourselves from what's happened in the past, but we, we, we look to it. We rely on it. We learn lessons from it. And we don't negate the future. But we anticipate it realistically so that we can press on faithfully today. Now I want you to see where Paul says Timothy's focus should be in the present. It was to be on the scriptures, what he calls in verse 15, the sacred writings. Look at these two verses again, 14 and 15. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. 
and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy had learned the scriptures and learned them from an early age from his mother and from his grandmother. They were believers and they taught Timothy as a child the sacred writings. And those sacred writings, of course, were the Old Testament. And Paul is telling Timothy here, you continue with them. You continue to study them. You remember what you've learned from them. And you focus on the truth you've become convinced of because of them. Now I want you to see, as we conclude this morning, in particular, what Paul says about these Old Testament scriptures, these sacred writings. He says, in the verse 15, they are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Do you see what Paul is saying there? The gospel is in the Old Testament. You might remember that when on the day Jesus rose from the dead, he, he met two men walking to Emmaus. And he visited with them. And we're told, without them knowing who he was, that beginning with, the, with Moses and continuing through the prophets, he explained to them everything concerning him in the Old Testament. Jesus took them on a journey through the Old Testament, showing them how the Old Testament pointed to him and testified of him, how they gave the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so what is it in which we are to continue? We're to continue in our salvation that is ours in Jesus. We're to press on in our understanding of the scriptures, of the sacred writings that God has given to us, where we find the sufficiency of Christ is our Redeemer, pressing on to the high call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's where this sacrament comes in. This is one of the means that God has given to us to press on with faith and with diligence, with joy and with grace. This is a table where believers can feast on the goodness of God, where they can taste the sweetness of God's grace, and where they can find the strength to fight the good fight of faith. Here we see the love of God and the mercy of Jesus and the assurance of salvation clearly displayed for us. We get to see it. We get to touch it. We get to taste it. Here we get to taste and see that the Lord is good. It is this sacrament and what it pictures for us that enables us to do what Paul encouraged Timothy to do here, and that is continue on in our faith. To keep on keeping on and to delight ourselves in the salvation that is ours through faith in Jesus. And just like in our text, this sacrament points us back. Back to what Christ has done for us on the cross. It points us ahead to the future. To the great hope we have in Christ of eternal life. But it focuses our attention upon the present drawing the grace and the strength that we need to live in obedience every day. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And we pray for your grace as we seek to continue in the things that we've learned. 
and the salvation that is ours by faith in Jesus Christ. And as we come to this table now, we pray, O oh God, your blessing upon it, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, be encouraged, and that our assurance might increase. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As is our custom, I'll read for you the words of institution from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. This is 1 Corinthians 11, verses, beginning with verse 23. This is the word of God. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in, which, in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. We say that a, a picture is worth a thousand words. And isn't it wonderful that, that, that God in his grace through Christ has given us a picture, a picture of salvation. Something that we can see with our eyes. Something we can touch with our hands. Something we can taste with our taste buds. It's a, it's a living picture of the gospel. Of that which enables us to know God the Father through grace and by faith. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And here's a picture of that. Here is a picture of the only way to God the Father. I want you to understand this morning that this, this sacrament is, is not just a memorial. It's not something that we do just to remember who Jesus was and what Jesus did. Nor is it a re-sacrifice of Christ. These elements don't become the body and blood of Jesus. But I do want you to understand that we believe that Christ is real. As we partake of these elements, there's a real spiritual sense in which Christ is present among us. This is a spiritual feast that God has given to us to feed our souls. And as we partake of these elements, Christ ministers His grace to us in a, in a unique and special way. This is a special service. Gavin and I were talking earlier in the week, and we talk about a variety of things. We we're talking about the, the Lord's Supper and preparation for it. And I told him, I said, there are two things in the ministry before which I get extremely nervous. One's a session meeting. And the other is this.
because this is a gift of God's grace to his church. To you as a believer. Where you can feast upon his grace and the wonder of it. Where your soul can be filled with joy and with assurance. And that's what I want you to have this morning as we come to the Lord's table. I want you to have assurance. To know that your salvation doesn't depend upon anything you have done. Nothing in you, nothing about you, but all of Christ. And if you're depending upon any work of yours, any one thing about your life or your family or your tradition, it won't get you to heaven. This is it. Only what Christ has done for you on the cross. And so it's my privilege and my responsibility to both invite you to come and to warn you as you come. It's my privilege to welcome all of you who have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus to come, to come to the table He has prepared for you and to come with joy and gratitude and thanksgiving for all that Christ has done. To come gladly, all you who have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, who are members in good standing of any evangelical church, have a heart to live your life for Jesus. But it's my responsibility to warn you that if that's not true in your life, if you're outside the family of God, if you know in your heart you really haven't trusted Jesus, I would ask that you refrain from partaking of the elements. That you observe what is taking place here and you ask God to give you the grace of salvation. This table is for sinners. Aren't we all thankful for that? It's for sinners. And so come, you sinners, poor and needy, rich and weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready, stands to save you, full of pity, full of power. We're going to sing Blessed Assurance as our hymn of preparation, as our elders come.